Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. So now we're going on to the next disease that is, that can possibly cause joint pain. Yeah. yeah. And it's still under the seropositive disorders. So mm-hmm. what are we talking about today, Andy? So today we're going to move on to systemic lupus erythematosus. Ooh, yes. scary. It is a scary one. I'm terrified. <laughs> but uh, we'll see how we go. All right. So let's start by defining what SLE is. Yeah. Um, so we need to reiterate, this is still a seropositive, just like rheumatoid arthritis, um, yep. but it's got its own few twists and turns as well. Mm. So how do you define uh, SLE, Andy? Okay. So SLE is an autoimmune disease that affects lots of organs, so multiple organs, and it is characterized by a, a huge array of different mm. autoantibodies. And um, in particular, this thing called an anti-nuclear antibody or ANA. Is something that we need to understand yeah and so the main reason why SLE occurs is the deposition of these ANA antibodies or forming immune complexes and yep. they get deposited all around the body wherever they get deposited they cause problems in that particular region and so that's why since they get deposited everywhere that's why SLE affects a lot of different organs and can present as a lot of different things exactly and that's why it's a nightmare to diagnose because it you can present in so many different forms. Mm. Let's talk about mm. the pathogenesis, right? So you mentioned that it's mm. involving antibodies, and I'm assuming just like rheumatoid arthritis, there's something going on with mm. tolerance. But actually, mm. before we talk about anti- the pathogenesis, let's talk about mm. these antibodies, okay. right? Because yes. if you don't understand the antibodies, you don't really, you can't really appreciate what happens next. Yes, especially when it comes to diagnosis. Mm. So. Often these antibodies are detected by a technique called, called immunofluorescence. And yes. when we talk about um, nephrology in the future, glomerulonephritis, we'll cover um, mm. this as well. But it's a similar concept. So you send these fluorescent markers to try to detect where these antibodies are. Mm. And you get these beautiful nuclear patterns that you see. And then they're really, they're, they're, yeah, they're amazing. So if you, if you get a chance, look it up on, you know, um, uh, on, on your textbooks. Mm. But... There are a number of key patterns that you see, and let's quickly describe them just so our yeah. audience has a bit of an idea. Mm. So depending on where the anti... So anti-nuclear antibodies itself is actually quite a general term mm. because they you can further subdivide them to be antibodies that target the DNA. Yeah. They could target the histones. They could target non-histone proteins such as or things that are proteins that are bound to the RNA and a lot of even things that are bound to nucleolar antigens mm-hmm. that are within the nucleus so anti-nuclear bodies describe a lot of these things and depending on what they bind to the they show up as a different pattern yeah exactly beautiful in the fluorescence and so one of these ones is that you will see a very vastly lit up cell uh, nucleus where you can see they look perfectly round and i think they look they're called homogenous Mm -hmm. or a diffuse nuclear staining and that typically describes antibodies that uh, bind to chromatin, histones, and occasionally double-stranded DNA. Yeah. What's another type of um, pattern you can see? So, um, uh, rim or peripheral um, staining patterns can also be uh, seen in yep. some patients, and that usually indicates um, antibodies towards double-stranded DNA, okay. and occasionally nuclear um, envelope proteins as well, so proteins that are actually on the nuclear membrane. Mm. Um, what's another pattern? Another pattern could be a speckled pattern. These are my favorite. They're beautiful. <laughs> yeah, they actually just look like little, um, I don't know, they're just like little speckled dots around the uh, in the nucleus yeah. and 
and they, yeah, they, they look really amazing. Um, so they're commonly observed, but and therefore they're the least specific pattern, but yeah. they can bind to non-DNA nuclear constituents such as Smith protein. Mm-hmm. It's an RNA binding protein. Ribonuclear proteins or SSA, SSB reactive antigens. So that's just Schrogen's A and Schrogen's B, which oh, we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah, which we'll yeah. talk about in our next episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're really gorgeous. But like you mentioned, you see these speckled ones in lots of autoimmune conditions. So... Mm. Yeah, you might see it in SLE, but you might also see it in systemic sclerosis, for example, or another condition of, sure. of that nature. Yeah. The next pattern that you might see is the nu- nucleolar pattern. Mm-hmm. And that's when you see, um, uh, usually it represents RNAs binding, uh, sorry, antibodies binding to RNA. Mm-hmm. But again, this crossover occurs mainly for systemic sclerosis. You might see it in SLE, but it's also seen in systemic sclerosis. So whenever you're interpreting these patterns, be mindful that there is a bit of crossover between these different conditions. Yeah. What's the last one that we'll talk about today? Um, so, so the last one that we come across is centromeric patterns, where they can indicate systemic sclerosis mm-hmm. and often contain antibodies that are binding specifically to centromeres within yeah. the um, within the nucleus. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. All right. And as we mentioned, that you know there is a little bit of crossover, but in general, if you see antibodies supposed double-stranded DNAs in conjunction with your um, your Smith antigens, it's probably likely that this patient's got um, SLE. So Smith, highly likely, highly likely, yeah, yeah, highly likely. So Smith and double-stranded. Think about SLE um, in some patients. Mm. So now that we've covered the antibodies. Let's talk about how these antibodies come about and how the disease then comes about. There are four mm. competing theories, and we should mention that they're all theories, and it's not really clear how mm. this all comes about maybe, or fits together. Maybe fitting together all of these guys sh- starts to shed light on possible Maybe possible some, mm. some things that could be yep. going on. Well, okay. let's talk about some genetic risk factors okay, or yep. genetic causes. Yeah. So they found that with a lot of SLE patients, there's a higher prevalence or like association with HLA B8 or HLA DR3, so mm-hmm. there's a possible HLA component to it. Yeah. But they also found that people with a deficiency in complement proteins, yeah. complement components, sorry, such as C2, C4, or C1Q, mm-hmm. these guys also have a higher risk of um, well, they they present with SLE. Yeah. And one of the possible reasons is because the these particular components are crucial in removing immunocomplexes. And so the antigens and the antibodies bind together and form a complex and they get circulated around the body. They deposit in certain areas and without the removal of the through these components, the complement components, the deposited com- circulated complexes can cause more damage to the body. Exactly. Mm. Or alternatively, these can be important for clearing of just cellular debris, right? Sure. And so if the cell debris is not being cleared, then the body's more likely to encounter nuclear antigens. Mm -hmm. Because remember, antibodies can't normally get across the cell membranes of Mm. cells. Yes. So, you know, how can they actually access the nucleus? Mm. Well, this is one way that is hypothesized to facilitate that access. Interesting. You mentioned immunogenic issues yeah. as well what are some obviously there's some failure of something going on somewhere what what is yeah that? so like with a lot with autoimmune autoimmune diseases essentially is just your immune system attacking itself so there is a failure of self-tolerance within the immune system yeah. so 
the B cells are attacking itself, or there's um, CD4 helper T cells that mm-hmm. are quite that develop a, a, a taste for nucle- nucleosomal antigens mm-hmm. of the of your own body to to start um, start targeting them. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Then it's also is you know as we'll mention soon, mm. female patients are overrepresented in autoimmune conditions. Yeah, and particularly you know it's interesting how the incidence of this condition is not I mean on par with men in prepubescent or postmenopausal women but estrogen is suspected to play a role and i think you mentioned to me that you think you know estrogen could play a role in the fact that it um reduces the apoptosis of self-reacting b cells so Mm. then you have these b cells that are more likely to react to cell tissues Mm. when they're released into circulation Mm. yeah um now what about some environmental causes this is interesting yes and sle is highly associated with actually uv exposure so sunlight actually makes it worse Mm. and one of the particular possibilities is that the uv radiation may cause apoptosis in keratinocytes of the skin cells and um they that apoptosis will lead to the release of these um the nucleosome uh so the the contents in the nucleus yeah. and then the body will start picking up on these guys and start to develop an immunogenic reaction towards nuclear antigens yeah exactly and i think the uv rise can actually cause a change in the structure of these dnas or proteins mm. to make them even more immunogenic mm. um, which is really interesting there's also things like infections that might be suspected although it's not clear how that comes about mm. and drug induced so with um, blood pressures that are actually still commonly used um, hydralazine which i think works um, as a vasodilator can cause um, reactions, anticonvulsants mm-hmm. like phenytoin, mm-hmm. um, isoniazid, which is used for TB, for example, mm-hmm. and some biologic and oral contraceptive pills, mm. which again makes sense because of the relationship with estrogen can yep. do this as well. But the good news is I think as soon as you remove those mm. causes, that disease remits yep. and it, uh, I think people recover completely. Oh, that's, that's great. And another thing what I found was that um, a lot of books, they, they, sent, they tend to associate... So if you've got drug-induced lupus, you associate it with antihistone antibodies that are the typical oh, okay. thing that pops Yeah, I didn't up. know that. Yeah. Oh, so antihistone antibodies are the ones that pop up rather than the... Well, I, actually, I don't know whether if the DNA, a double-stranded DNA or Smith are less likely to show up, but the antihistone antibodies are the ones that are commonly seen in drug-induced lupus. Yeah, so you might then expect a homogenous nuclear pattern of some sort. Yeah. No, that's really good. Mm. Now, let's talk about some of the epidemiological... I think we're kind of alluded to it already yeah but I'm, I'm assuming this is probably more prevalent in females but how prevalent is it yeah so um it is more prevalent in females and it's actually probably a lot more prevalent compared to rheumatoid arthritis rheumatoid arthritis we mentioned it was three, three to, to one, one. Yeah. yeah whereas um in lupus the numbers that, that show up on a, during our research is is 10 to one okay yeah. females 10 and males one so it's highly more prevalent in females yeah what what age do they typically present in? so uh, as we mentioned it relates to when you know females stop producing estrogen so you know throughout the age of you know the, the, the menstruation um age so mm. From you know around thirteen to four to, to you know forty years of age, cool. and I think it's all more, more common in the Asian population and Af- African Americans as well. Hmm. Um, but it's interesting because it's got this. I think I've come across as a bimodal pattern of distribution. Do you want to maybe uh, explain mm-hmm. that a little bit? Actually, I don't think I've come across that. What, what do you mean by okay, that? Okay, so I think yeah. what it comes in is that um, mm-hmm. uh, so it can be either uh, they can have it within two years, okay, or they can have a late presentation where um, you know they can. You, tend to see this disease you know after about 10 years it's not a it's a more of a side point but i think it's just you know if you come across it don't be too too phased by it mm. now let's talk about signs and symptoms because this oh this is 
crazy in terms of the signs and symptoms. No wonder it's so hard to diagnose. Yes. But yeah, because it affects so many organs, you can have such varying uh, symptoms. But let's start with some of the skin or dermatological symptoms. And there's really two that stand out to me. Mm. Do you want to maybe mention the butterfly rashes? Yeah. So the mallard butterfly rash is one of the more typical and I think the more classical presentations that, that that I associate with um systemic lupus erythematosus Mm. so it's a rash that you develop on the face that kind of looks like a butterfly um you've got like the two wings on the cheeks and it can go onto i think the eyelids as well um what they do spare is the nasal nasal labial folds so the parts that are directly next to your nose compared to your cheeks Mm -hmm. so that part is usually spared but it distributes over the cheeks as well as typically the bridge of the nose and it's usually commonly after uv exposure so going into the sun yeah i think about 50 percent of patients develop it after uv exposure Mm. another rash that you might come across is called a subacute um cutaneous lupus okay um, and that is a lesion that typically begins as a sort of a small erythematous, slightly scaly papule, so slightly raised, um, sort of these swellings. Okay. And they evolve into either either, either a um, psoriasis form, form or papular squamous sort of rash mm-hmm. or an annular form mm. rash. With all of these, I think you guys should have a look at pictures, to be honest. It's hard to really give it justice by describing it. Mm. Um, but usually it occurs around the neck, shoulder, upper torso uh, and also the forearms but it spares unlike the male butterfly rash it spares the face oh. whereas the but- male butterfly rash occurs on the face yeah there's also some vasculitides or vascular lesions as well do you want to quickly maybe mention those yep so you mentioned um that we've so with the vascular lesions you can develop Raynaud's phenomena which mm. happen like it's a vasospasm that occurs and can it can affect the cause um, oculi- um blood um, blood perfusion problems and things like that in the yes in, in the hands and this other thing that you mentioned to me was um, levito reticularis. Yep. But what exactly was that? So that's sort of a reddish cyanotic um, reticulum means net pa- uh, a net-like appearance pattern that you see. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason this happens is that, um, as we mentioned, there's lots of antibodies and immune complexes in circulation, yep. which may cause alterations in the flow of small blood vessels. Mm-hmm. And so to in order to maintain blood, blood vessels, the, mm-hmm. the blood vessels then dilate. Mm-hmm. And so you then develop this sort of redness on the skin um, mm. that, that you might see. Mm. Um, but the problem is once you vasodilate, you know, you can cause stagnation of the blood within mm. those vessels and that can cause this, you know, morbid discoloration um, uh, as well. There's also lots of other vasculitis like levetovasculitis where, you know, in, you might get thrombi in the smaller vessels and that cause, causes um, narrowing or compromised blood circulation. Okay. Can you have joint features as well? Yes, yeah. and that is pretty much why we've mentioned um lupus within this joint um, yeah within this joint segment of of um, the common rounds right now and so typically with this the arthritis that appears in um in lupus is that they're migratory mm, they yeah. they don't stay in that one place they can be gone within 24 hours um, they can usually affect fingers in the proximal interphalangeal kind joints. of like rheumatoid huh? yeah. yeah wrists and knees and they really cause erosive changes that can show up on an x-ray and um, there's no rheumatoid erosions or joint space narrowing i guess because it comes and goes so it's not like a persistent Mm, joint um, and also muscular sort of features like uh, myositis and muscle weakness is not very common okay um but you can have other sort of aside from msk sort of presentation you can have you know like things affecting the eye keratoconjunctivitis seca i think it means dryness of the eye if i'm not mistaken yeah you can have cardiac symptoms like pericarditis or um non-bacterial endocarditis and do you remember when we did cardiology 
biology, we learned about Libman sacs. Yes, we did. Yeah, and that's a, a non-bacterial um, valvular presentation. Mm, because they're the, sterile, so they're, yeah. they, they don't have any ba- bacteria. Exactly, on, on mm. the valves. Um, both valves. sides of the valves? Yeah. I believe, yeah, both yep. sides. And we mentioned already the vascular symptoms, but you can also get um, glomerulonephritis. Mm. So it can affect the kidneys. You can develop respiratory um, conditions like interstitial lung disease, mm. lots of different disorders. You can, in fact, get neurological symptoms as well, you know, because mm. you're affecting maybe blood circulations. You might get headaches. Mm. Um, you might get seizures and um, peripheral neuropathy as well. Um, mm. So there's lots of symptoms. It's really like it's amazing in terms mm. of its diagnosis. Yeah. So pop quiz or actually trivia was, did you know that the renal, uh, so the kidney is actually the most commonly uh associated visceral organ with sle is it yeah okay so i didn't kidneys. know that yeah i knew that it's associated i guess it makes it because mm. probably the kidneys are filtering all the immune complexes so mm. the immune complex is likely to get trapped in the yeah. kidney so it, it causes like a diffuse proliferative glomerulonephritis yeah that's most commonly occurring and chronic renal failure is the most common cause of death oh wow afterwards uh, so people die of sle not because oh well because of chronic um, complications renal, renal failure yeah yeah how interesting mm. um well now that i guess we're kind of going towards it how do we um, what are some investigations and in di- how do we go about diagnosing this disease mm. one thing that we can do is the with the serology we can look for anti-nuclear antibodies mm-hmm. and so the pot if it shows up as uh, having anti-nuclear antibodies or anas that is a highly sensitive test but it is poorly specific. So it, it, what it just means is that, great, you've got ANAs, but that doesn't necessarily pinpoint SLE. Yeah. That's really important to have it, but it doesn't it doesn't rule out a lot of things. So you need to do other things to find out. And the other things was, as we mentioned, the double-stranded DNA or having anti-Smith antibodies are a better indicator to go, okay, now that they have these guys, they're, they're definitely yeah. having, um, they definitely have systemic lupus erythematosus. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So you have to use that in conjunction. Yeah. And like rheumatoid arthritis, a lot of these antibodies can also be used to monitor treatment response as well. So mm-hmm. if the patient has remainingly or, or constant, constantly high Mm. Anti uh, the uh, antibodies and it suggests that disease is not well controlled. You can also have antiphospholipid antibodies. So we I think mm. we alluded to to them in our thrombophilia. <laughs> did we? Yeah, yeah, okay. we did in our thrombophilia talk in, yeah. in our hematology block where uh, antiphospholipids can. Uh, it's theorized that it could remove protein C and protein S, which are mm. uh, anticoagulants. And so mm. as a consequence, you can develop clots. And you can actually look for these antibodies as well in some patients. Ah. But like rheumatoid, these guys, this condition also has a clinical criteria as well. Yep. Um, should we mention the criteria that was taught to us? Because yep. I think, you know, um, different references refer to different mm. criteria. We're referring to the SLICCC criteria, aren't we? Yes, that was um, reclassified in um, 2012. Yep, so it's the latest. Yeah. And um, so the requirement essentially is that you've got like, you've got two lists of items and you need to have at least four of the criterias. And in the, cl- so il- of the 11 criteria set out clinically, you need to have four of these criteria. Can we just, can I just pause you? By the way, guys, we haven't actually memorized this. We're just reading this criteria off of this. <laughs> it's, I don't think, unless you're a rheumatologist, you probably don't need to memorize this. Yeah. We're saying it for completeness. Yep. Mm, yes. And then there is also a second list that comprises of immunologic criteria where you know whether if you've got ANAs uh, and other other uh, serological findings and so you need at least four in total one from the clinical at least and one from the laboratory data mm-hmm. or also a biopsy proven of um, nephritis. Lupus, lupus nephritis yeah okay 
So, so what are some of the clinical criteria? Maybe okay. some examples, I think. Okay. I won't go through the 11 <laughs> criteria that I've listed. Well, yes. So actually, they, they kind of describe what usually, um, probably I would imagine the most important findings that you would... That's, that's cause, true, actually. Yeah. yeah, it's true. So you could cause an acute cutaneous lupus rash. So mm-hmm. I, I think that refers to the malar rash. Yeah. Uh, the second criteria is a chronic cutaneous lupus rash. Yeah. Um, oral or nasal um, pharyngeal ulcers. I wonder whether that's due to the vasculitity issues. Mm. And then you could have a non-scarring alopecia, so hair loss, arthritis, serositis. I think that's inflammation of the serous membranes, typically presenting as um, pericarditis. You can have renal problems, neurological problems, hemolytic anemia, leukopenia, so decreased white blood cells, so because the antibodies can also target the white blood yeah, cells and kill them. That's right. And also they can affect platelets, so thrombocytopenia as well. Okay. So that's the 11 clinical criteria that lupus affects. And uh, what are the immunological criteria? Well, it's pretty affects? much some of the diagnosis tests that we are also looking at anti-nuclear antibodies, yep. anti-double stranded DNA, anti-Smith yep. antigens, anti-phospholipids. So yeah, so if you know the investigations you already know the immunological criteria which is but i think we need to reiterate that yeah i don't think well personally i'm not going to memorize it um i don't think it's good use of your time Einstein said if you could look it up then why why, why memorize it why waste your time exactly um so yeah so at least now you know that like rheumatoid arthritis there's also clinical diagnosis to accompany your investigations as well so let's finish up by briefly mentioning about some of the treatments so what are the goals of treatment for for these Mm. patients so i think it's to the goal is to treat early and avoid the long-term steroid use. Yeah. Um, and what else? What What are some other goals? So yeah. Um, so in terms of treatment, you want to make sure that your treatment really targets the organ systems involved. So if it's the kidneys, well, you have to make sure that your uh, treatments encompass uh-huh. ways of managing the renal dysfunction yep. and things like that. Okay. But also some treatments are mainly targeted for certain organs. So for example, if you want to approach dermatological treatments, yes. if they get a lot of cutaneous symptoms, you want to make sure we mentioned UV is a key risk factor. So yes. lots of sunscreen um, protection is important. Topical steroids to bring inflammation under control. You can also use hydroxychloroquine as well. Yep. Um, what about some MSK um, yep. uh, symptom management? Mm. So paracetamol, NSAIDs, and uh, with NSAIDs, you accompany with a gastroprotective agent to prevent um, yeah, stomach ulcers. Like PPI or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they can be they can be agents to help with the pain for that is presenting in arthritis. Mm-hmm. Um, also, also beneficial for some of the pleuritis and pericarditis yeah. uh, symptoms that could pop up. Um, hydroxychloroquine is another agent that improves improves long term control and prevents flare ups of SLE. Um, apparently, you can also use bisphosphonates. A calcium and vitamin D to combat osteoporosis that it, that it, that is associated with. I SLE? think that's mainly associated if you use um, steroids long term as well. Nicole, because ah, yeah, bone um, bone loss or osteo- osteoclast activity. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, if they're really bad, then you want to. And if they're facing uh, organ severe organ dysfunction, you want to hit them with really high dose steroids. I mean, prednisolone or even IV mm. methylprednisolone, um, and then maybe start introducing azathioprine, things like methotrexate and mycophenolate may be used as well. Huh, but if organ, it's really bad, the organ rejection. Yeah, yeah, the organ rejection drugs. Yeah. If it's really bad, cyclophosphamide IV as well to wipe out your immune cells. I think is wow. is what is what's used. Yeah. Cool. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, do you want to add anything else? Oh, I, I think that was a lot yeah. that we covered. So, yeah, so thanks for tuning in, guys. Again, this is another big topic. Hopefully, I think our future topics are not going to be as big. We just want to get these hard ones out of the way. Because <laughs> I think, yeah, once you learn these, you've pretty much get, 
understand the principles. Thanks for tuning in. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer, Gautam, and our co-editor, Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.